Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Chapter 19, verse number 9, and I, I got a few verses of scripture. I'm going to skip around a little bit, so just, just follow me as, as I give direction as we are skipping here uh, through 2 Samuel 19. Starting with verse 9, though, the Bible states these words, and all the people were at strife throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, and, and as a footnote, if I may, this is after as this morning Absalom is dead now who they had made their king is dead and so they're kind of at a loss here of what to do so there's a lot of strife throughout all the tribes of Israel saying the king they're speaking concerning David the one that they rejected the king saved us out of the hand of our enemies he delivered us out of the hand of the Philistines now as he fled out of the land for Absalom that's what David did. When Absalom was going to usurp the throne, David just departed. Verse 10 says, And Absalom, whom we anointed over us, is dead in battle. Now, therefore, why speak ye not a word? They're talking among themselves. Why speak ye not a word of bringing the king back? That's David. Bringing David back. And King David sent to Zadok and to Abiathar, the priest, saying, speak unto the elders of Judah, saying, why are ye the last to bring the king back to his house? Seeing the speech of all Israel is come to the king, even to his house. You understand, David is hearing word of all the other tribes except Judah about bringing him back. And so he, he stirred up the priest and said, priest, go ask Judah why they haven't talked about bringing me back to mine house. He says in verse number 12, to Judah, ye are my brethren. Ye are my bones and my flesh. Wherefore, then are ye the last to bring back the king? I mean, I've heard word from everybody else but you. You're the last. Skip down to verse number 15. So the king returned, that's David, and came to Jordan and Judah came to Gilgal to go to meet the king, to conduct the king over Jordan. Skipping to verse 40. Then the king went on to Gilgal, and Chimham went on with him, and all the people of Judah conducted the king, and also half the people of Israel. Behold, all the men of Israel came to the king and said unto the king, Why have our brethren the men of Judah stolen thee away and have brought the king? and his household, and all David's men with him over Jordan. And all the men of Judah answered the men of Israel, because the king is near of kin to us. Wherefore then, be ye angry for this matter. Have we eaten at all at, of the king's cause? Or have we given us, has he given us any gift? The men of Israel answered the men of Judah and said, We have ten parts in the king." We have also more right in David than ye have. Why then did ye despise us that our advice should not be first had in bringing back our king? And the words of the men of Judah were fiercer, 
just to sum it up, the writer says, the, the, the words of the men of Judah were fiercer than the words of the men of Israel. Amen. I don't know if this is very familiar to anybody. We'll try to make you familiar with it before we're said and done tonight. But I would like to preach simply this. Judah, escort of the king. Judah, escort of the king. Hallelujah. Let's go to the Lord right now in prayer. Father, I need you now. Lord, in the next few moments, Lord, as I share from your word, God, we know your word will not return void. It will go forth as it is sent, and it will accomplish what you want and desire for it to accomplish in the lives of those that would hear it. I pray, O oh Lord, today, anoint my mind, mark any air from there, my lips, O oh Lord, to be anointed. God, those that would sit in the audience tonight that would be eager and ready to receive what the word of the Lord would speak to their individual lives. I pray, O oh Lord, this evening, we need you, Jesus, in this place. God, we're thankful, Lord, for every song of Zion. We're thankful for the anointing of your presence, God, that came down in those. But, Lord, through the ministry of the word of the Lord, God, let there be a fresh, Lord, anointing, God, upon this part of our service. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray, amen and amen. And the church say amen. Amen. You may be seated tonight in Jesus' name. My voice was not cooperating with me very well this morning. And so, rather than going octave hires, I'm going to preach octave lowers tonight. Get down here and, and, and preach maybe tonight, here this evening. Judah, everybody say Judah. Escort of the king. Amen. Uh, I've read all kinds of books on preaching. Uh, denominal, Pentecostal, all kinds. Some of the recommendations of preaching is they say, you tell the people what you're going to say, you say it, and then you tell them what you said. And so I guess I'm going to start off telling you what I'm going to say. It's my desire tonight to elevate praise to its rightful position here tonight. Praise is not the parsley on the plate. It is the course for which the entree is named. Praise is associated with the walls of Jericho falling. Praise is responsible for the ambushments that were sent against the children of Ammon and the children of Moab. Praise loosed chains and opened doors to a secure prison in Rome in Acts 16. Praise is not weak. Praise is not fragile. Praise is not fatigued. Praise is not a pastime. Praise is not frail. But praise is powerful. As a matter of fact, praise is so essential and desired of God that in the great praise chapter of Psalms 150, he ended that chapter by saying, Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord, praise ye the Lord. So that we wouldn't mention it, he said, miss it, he mentioned it twice. Praise the Lord, praise ye the Lord. And though he said let everything, although it is something that we have control over, it is something that is through scripture time and again commanded amen through the word of God. He commands it but we have control whether or not we do it. Amen. But it's a powerful thing when it is done. For one thing the first occurrence of praise in the Old Testament scripture 
happens in the book of Genesis in the Old Testament of chapter 29 and verse 35 when the Bible says, when Judah was born, Leah said, now I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she called his name Judah. From Genesis then all the way to Revelation, we are taught, we are instructed, we're shown how. It's demonstrated for us this activity, this thing called praise. As a matter of fact, Genesis, it begins, but in Revelation, meets its culmination in Revelation chapter 19, which has been called the Alleluia Chorus because it's the first time that the word Alleluia is used in the whole of the New Testament. Alleluia is the Greek form of the Hebrew Hallelujah. Composed of two words. Hallel, that means praise. And jaw, which means the Lord. Four times in Revelations 19, hallelujah is used in that chapter and nowhere else. Amen. Praise the Lord can serve as a command and it can also serve as a comment, as we oftentimes do. But when you find the word praise, that word praise in Revelation 19, that verb there is a verb in the present tense, which means that we are commanded not just to praise the Lord, but to keep on praising the Lord. Meaning that prior to this moment, they were already praising, and the command is just to keep on doing what you're doing. Someone say amen. And so, folks, tonight what that, what that dissolves is this. If the theory of some is that they will praise the Lord when they get to heaven, that's a flawed theory. Heaven isn't a place to begin to praise the Lord. Heaven is a place where we continue praising the Lord. It's not where praise starts. It is where praise continues. And if I'm going to arrive there, I'm going to praise him here. Someone say amen. The Bible says in Revelations 19, 5, and a voice came out of the throne saying, Praise our God, all ye servants, and ye that fear him, both small and great. And the Bible says when that happened, John, as he was putting pen to page, he says, I heard as it were the voice of a great multitude and as the voice of many waters and as the voice of a mighty thundering saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. In other words, whenever I heard these voices begin to praise the Lord, begin to praise God, he says, I recognize that God was the all-powerful and that he reigneth and that God was the king of this environment and this surroundings. Can someone say amen? amen. Praise can be used for the better or praise can be used for the worse. Based upon who or what is being praised. But know well tonight. If the king is to reign in our lives. It is because he rode on the wings of praise. If the king reigns in our life in our church. It's because praise welcomed him. Someone say amen. In our country. If the president of the United States is assassinated. Within a few hours, the vice president would assume the command. It wouldn't take long in order for that exchange to happen if our president was assassinated. But in the book of 2 Samuel 19, we're not dealing with a republic. We're not dealing with a democracy. We're dealing with a monarchy. And so whenever Absalom's life is taken and he is now dead, 
and they have been led by one individual. We're not talking about someone else now just assuming their command or assuming the road. This is quite different. There is feuding going on among the tribes. There is controversy going on among the tribes about what should be done. Who should have that honorable road now? David leaves Jerusalem, the Bible says, as Absalom is promoted or promotes himself even as king among the nations of Israel. Israel, many of them wrongfully, some of them ignorantly, anointed Absalom to be their king. But now they are on the backside of the reign of Absalom. Absalom now is dead. And whenever things start to settle after the death of Absalom, Israel starts to talk about how their king before Absalom had delivered them from their enemies. They begin to talk about and remember now that Absalom is dead. They begin to remember about the king they had rejected. They be considered the king that was before him. And they begin to remember, you know what? David was a good king. Uh, David came to our side and, and gave us deliverance and saved us from the Philistines. And he made sure there was food on our table and there was proper law and judgment and authority in the land. They begin to remember their old king whenever the king that they thought they wanted to be their king finally died. And the Bible says they realized that David only left Israel, only left Jerusalem because they had desired another king. They had desired Absalom to take his place. But the fact of the matter is this, folks. Absalom now is dead. And so Israel is in a feud. Israel is in a controversy. They're thinking among themselves, why don't we do something about bringing the king, David, back to Jerusalem? But wait a minute, boys. Some are saying we are the ones that rebelled against him. We are the ones that done him dirty. We are the ones that showed him the exit door in our life and in our kingdom. So now what are we going to do? If we want him back, how are we going to get him back whenever we showed him the door to exit by? How are we going to accomplish this? We offended. We offended David. So how are we going to get back in good graces of David? What would cause him to want to come? How could we make him feel welcomed after we put up hands, amen, against him and toward him? How are we going to get him back in good favor with us when we did what we did? Someone say amen. Because David is not surely going to soon forget that we had poured our gratitude upon Absalom. That we had put our mark, if you will, amen, and our impression of favor upon Absalom. David's not going to forget that whenever Absalom came to Hebron, that we all shouted and we all cried, let Absalom reign and let Absalom rule. So how in the world are we going to accomplish this? We poured our gratitude upon him. Boys, some of them probably saying, is is it even possible to reverse what's been done? Someone say amen. And so after pondering on this, pondering about what advantages David brought as being king, how he had helped them, how he had fed them, how he had delivered them, they decided among themselves, you know what, boys? It would be nonsense for us to wait any longer to bring back David as the king. In Jerusalem. Someone say amen. amen. See they, they wanted Absalom. But now they desire their old king. 
David. Let me pause here for a moment and say this. The rejected king looks very promising when the one that you made your king dies. Amen. They didn't think about the deliverance that David offered or the salvation that David provided or the food that David gave until what they had put their trust in was no longer. Someone say amen. Amen. Everybody likes a new king. Everybody likes the new thing that comes around on the block. They like to give their allegiance to that, pour their affection, their love, and their gratitude on that. But my question to you is this. Who's going to be your king whenever that dies? Who's going to be your king when that doesn't no longer exist? Who's going to be your king when that doesn't come through like you think it's going to come through? And it doesn't pan out like you think it's going to pan out. You're going to remember who was king prior to them. When that's dead, you're... Someone say amen. And so David simply left Jerusalem. He simply left Jerusalem, the Bible says, when Absalom took the throne. He simply left. But note well, whenever David left, David did not abdicate his throne. He just left. So what Israel really had was an Absalom that they pronounced as king, an Absalom that was only acting as king, when in reality, he had no power to be king. He was serving in a function, and he was serving in a role that he had no power along with the role to exercise. Because although David was gone, he was still king. Honey, I've seen it too many times. People have set things up in their life they thought were king. They set things up in their life they thought was going to be the new great deal. But the fact of the matter is this. God is not interested in competition. He's either that alone or none. And so he'll leave whenever you set something up in your life that you think you put confidence in, get salvation from and deliverance from. But the fact of the matter is this. That thing is only acting like king. There's only one king, and he's not abdicated his throne. He still has the power whether you put him in power or not. Yes. He's king. So he didn't, he didn't abdicate his throne. Amen. He, he, just, he just left Jerusalem. And the Bible says, as they're having this talk about bringing David back, that David on the opposite side of the Jordan and Menahahim, in Mahanim, over on the opposite side of Jordan, he catches word about what Israel is talking about. He catches word about their speech. Israel was talking about the king returning. They were talking about asking the king to return. But while David has heard all these ten tribes of Israel saying these things and mentioning these things, he comes to find out that through the grapevine, he never heard Judah say anything about this. I mean, Naphtali and Simeon and all these other tribes had talked about it. He heard that come through the grapevine. But he never heard anything from Judah. And so this prompted David. He says, I'm going to talk to Zadok and I'm going to talk to uh, the other priest, a man by the name of Abiathar. I'm going to ask the priest to pose the question to Judah. Why haven't you all? said anything about bringing back the king. 
He says, I want to know what, what, what the deal here is. And so, priests, go, go stir up, if you will, the word. Stir up the minds of Judah and ask them why they are delaying and bringing the king back. For all means, he says, I'm even near of kin. I'm near of kin to them. We share some family traits. We got some common DNA. And so I thought if anybody would be desirous or have a word in getting the king back, it would be those that we share some common traits with that have similar DNA. Someone say amen. So he stirs this up because, see, Judah was the royal tribe, according to Genesis 49. They were the royal tribe. David was from, David was from the tribe of Judah. Amen. His capital city, amen, was in Judah. The elders of Judah, in 2 Samuel 2, the elders of Judah had made David first king. They were the ones that first made David king over Hebron before the rest of the nation ever adopted him as their king. Judah had been the first one to make David king in Hebron. And so he thought, man, if anybody should be saying something, it should be Judah. I mean, I'm flattered that the other tribes want it, but but I thought those that were closely related to me should. I I mean, Judah, are you really going to be the last on the list to call the king back home when you should have been first? (laughs) Someone say amen. Shouldn't my kinsmen be doing this first? You see, Judah, Judah has something that she is weighing in her mind. Because when Absalom started his rebellion, he started his rebellion in Hebron, which is in Judah. He started his rebellion in that place called Judah. I'm sweating all over this thing and it is not cooperating with me as a result of it. And so, since that is the case, they're a little little apprehensive about talking to the king to come back to Jerusalem, to come back to the land whenever they rebelled against the king first in Hebron, first in in Judah, these men had cooperated with Absalom. They had poured their gratitude on Absalom. They had made their allegiance toward another king. If I can state it in these terms, they are some of those that said, Absalom reigneth. They praised. They praised Absalom. And what he was doing. And what he was establishing. To be their new king. And they're thinking in themselves. How in the world can we now invite David back. Whenever we have undergirded praise. Gave accolade if you will to Absalom. Someone say amen. Uh But David says. You all are part of my kin. You all are part of my family. You should be first. 
And so upon questioning them, I like this, because the Bible says that David didn't question them. David didn't go to them as king and stir up the pot, but he sent the priest. He sent the priest to go ask them, when are you going to invite your king back? You praise Solomon or, or Absalom. I get those confused sometimes. You, you praised Absalom. You, you gave accolade to Absalom. You put your endorsement up on him. How long is it going to take you to praise the king? That's the rightful king. How, how long is it going to take you to put the accolades and put your thumbprint of impression upon the king? You're, you're related. you got some similar DNA. Someone say amen. I feel like I'm slow here tonight for some reason. Am I slow? No, someone said slow down. Okay. Uh, and so upon this questioning, lost a piece of paper. Upon this questioning, the Bible says that Judah then was quick not just to talk about bringing the king back, but they were quick in acting upon bringing the king back. As a matter of fact, whenever David was about to cross over Jordan into Gilgal and head back to Jerusalem, the Bible says that it was Judah that met him at the Jordan River to welcome him and to escort him, conduct him back over the river into the land of Jerusalem. Folks, I cannot but just get to the base of it, and that is this, that by whatever means a person may knowingly or unknowingly dismiss the king from their presence, praise is always a good escort for bringing the king. Praise is always a good escort in the it was praise it's for better or worse praise is it's for better or worse praise brought a wrong king praise brought a king in offense to the king up into the lives of Israel but it can also if turned in the right direction praise can bring the rightful king back in his place and back in his spot that's why David said but thou art holy O thou that inhabitest what Bishop has said it all our lives the praises of Israel. Bishop has all time said that God lives on the avenue of what? Praise. Because praise is always a good escort. Someone say amen. Praise is always a good escort. He says, hey, listen here. He says, we got something. We got something in common. We got some DNA, Judah. Hey, man, Leah, whenever she gave birth to you, she says, I will praise the Lord after she had Judah, and she left bearing. He says, me and you have some similar DNA. You're part of my clan. You're part of my kin. Honey, me and you got some traits that are very similar, insomuch that the Bible tells us in Deuteronomy 10 that whenever Moses was addressing the children of Israel after he had received the Ten Commandments for the second time. He begins to tell them and praise the Lord in many aspects. And he told them that the Lord, that the Lord, your Lord, he said he owns the heaven. Your Lord owns the heaven. Your Lord owns the earth. Your Lord is the God of gods. He was telling this. He said, your Lord is the Lord of lords. But then he went a step further in verse 21. And he said, for that matter, Israel, he said, the Lord, your God, is their 
praise. He says, your God is praise. That's the reason why David said, if anybody's going to be bringing the king back, it should be those that are part of the clan. It should be those with a similar DNA. Judah was praised, and they're bringing back a king of glory, if you will, of the same tribe, a tribe. Some would say amen. David says, I'm not going to go to them myself, but I'm going to get, if you will, the priest involved and have them pose the question, why haven't you brought the king back, Judah? Why haven't you brought the king back, Judah? This is part of your DNA. Praise is a part of you. Why haven't you brought the king back? Honey, I hope in the modern day church that if necessary, we can stir up the priesthood. David said, I'm not going to do it, but if I can put a buzzword in the priesthood, if I can put a buzzword in Bishop McGee, if I can put a buzzword in Brother Mason, if I can put a buzzword in the pastor, perhaps they'll go among the people and say, why wait we so long to invite the king back? Why wait we, we need to be the escorters. We need to be leading this thing. We need to be spearheading this thing. Someone say amen. amen. <laughs> because Judah, you were the first to make him king to begin with. Mm -hmm. When Saul was killed, Judah, you asked David to be king to begin with. And he ruled over you as a leader for seven years before anybody else accepted him. Judah, you accepted him as king when no one else would accept him as king because you are the same clan. Is this all right tonight? Is anybody bored out there? All right. Hey, man, because you, 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 you're of the same, you're of the same clan. Folks, let me tell you something. It can work either way. Revival or rebellion can happen with praise. Revival or rebellion can start with Judah. Judah can affect renewal or Judah can affect revolt. Praise is just that important. It can seal the deal for a revival or it can seal the deal for a rebellion. It's all about who or what we are praising. But I'm asking somebody, would you escort the rightful king into the house? Oh, I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Here is the character of the king. Here is the character of the king. David, whenever Absalom died, he didn't look at those that had went with him over Jordan and said, let's pack our bags together and let's cross over. Let's assume the throne and let's do our thing as though nothing happened. David didn't do that. David was a gentleman. Amen. He was the king. He had not lost any power, but he was a gentleman. David in the Old Testament, by all means, is a type of Christ. Because David was not willing to force his reign on the people. He wanted the people to ask for his reign. And Christ will never come down to any of you and force himself upon you. 
He will not force his power and force his reign and force his authority upon you. But what the king of kings desires and what he wants is for a people with a humble plea saying, God, I want you in my life, over my life, in power in my life, in authority in my life. And when you make that request, the king says, I'm crossing over because praise has decided to be my escort. David could have come in with a big sword and a big bat, put everybody under subjection, amen, pressed his thumb down upon them and made them all his subjects. But he didn't want subjects. He wanted praisers. He didn't want people to do anything by force. He wanted to do by will, by desire. Honey, the purest, it's not when I say clap your hands or take a lap around the church or shout glory, but it's whenever praise says, I'm going to shout glory before he says to. I'm going to clap my hands before he says to. That's when Judah becomes the escort to the king. Honey, we're of kin with the master. Someone say yes. Amen. There was a scripture I'd come across in the past weeks. I'm reading my Bible in the book of Psalms. I'll read it. I'll read it out of the King James Version. Then I'll read it to you out of the Jerusalem Bible from which I first read it. The Bible says Psalms 106. It states these words. It says, praise ye the Lord. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. For his mercy endureth forever. Who can utter the mighty acts of the Lord? Who can recount them? Who can shoot forth all his praise? Now listen to me. I first read this out of the Jerusalem Bible. Poses it as such. Hallelujah. Give thanks to Yahweh, for he is good. His love is everlasting. Who can count all Yahweh's triumphs? Who can praise him enough? Who can praise him enough? I think maybe it could have been a bold question or it could have been rhetorical, Brother Mason. But I believe David in his writing, he wanted the people to think and consider how much praise is enough for your God? Is there a place? Is there a benchmark? Is there a watermark that if you reach that, you say that's sufficient? I believe what David wanted them to realize that if I would start from the rising of the sun until the going down of the same, the Bible says his name shall be praised. And just as the sun is going down, amen, and a new sun is rising, his name shall be praised.
You know what that tells me? It doesn't tell me there's a benchmark. It doesn't tell me there's a certain quota. It doesn't tell me that there's a certain limit that once you reach that, you can put your praise card aside and you don't have to worry about checking it in because you've met the quota for the week or for the service or for the time. No, no, no. He says, who can praise the Lord enough? What's that telling me? That every time the king is entering in, Judah should be escorting him. Every time the king is coming and his presence is here in abode, Judah should be escorting him because they're of the same clan. They are related in the fact they are praying. And so, we have problems in the close of the chapter, and I'm trying to run. Judah escorts him over the Jordan to a city called Gilgal. And then, who also appears at Gilgal, is half of Israel. likely speak of the ten tribes half of Israel come to Gilgal all of Judah escorted him to Gilgal but Israel shows up half of Israel shows up at Gilgal and what this caused was some animosity what this caused was more controversy Because now, Israel goes to King David, and they question the king. Why is it that Judah was the one that brought you across the Jordan? David, let me put it in paraphrasing terms for you. David, did you not first hear about us talking about it? Wasn't it through the words that you heard murmuring that Israel was considering bringing you over the river? Why is it Judah that has escorted you back into Jerusalem when we were the first to talk about it? David doesn't answer, but Judah answers and says we brought the king over the river because we're related to the king he's of the tribe of judah we are the tribe of judah and there's nothing like family welcoming just one of their own home But if I could go just a step further tonight, Israel, the reason why Judah is the one that escorted the king over the Jordan is because while you were still talking about it, while you were still talking about it, Judah got their men and women together and started headed toward the Jordan and said, King, we welcome you back home. Return unto. Honey, there will always be two parties in the camp. And that's those that talk about it. 
Those that would even like to go down memory lane when they did. And those that say today's a new day and we need the king's presence. I'm going to the river and I'm going to escort him back. <laughs> Honey, we cannot get enamored with a time and a place when we did praise or we did worship or we did admire and say, well, I did then. No, no, no. Somebody needs to invite the king today and be an escort. A praise to the rightful king. Someone say amen. <laughs> so what Israel's really upset about is that Judah did what they talked about. The really spot of contention is not that the king is back, but Judah acted upon what they only talked about. Folks, I've seen it. I've seen it in the religious organization. That there'll be people that'll be contentious about other churches because they did what only the other church talked about doing. And there'll be controversy. They'll be saying they didn't have no right or that they did it wrong or they dropped standards in order to get it accomplished. It'll be everything under the sun spoke about. And really what it all comes down to is somebody acted and somebody didn't. So while Judah's saying, hey, we're, we're related, we're clan, we got DNA, if you will, with the king, Israel then pipes up and say, listen here, we got ten tribes, we got ten tribes, we got more people, and then once again they throw in the face of Judah, and we were the first to talk about it. He said, talk doesn't mean nothing. Talk does not mean anything. Let me put my proper grammar back in order here. Talk doesn't mean anything. What would an advantage if Noah spoke all those years and said, we're going to build us a boat. We're going to build an ark. This is going to be the dimensions of the ark. It's going to have three stories. It's going to have one window in it, one door. We're going to have two of every pair and of the clean beast. We're going by seven. We're going to have all that. Man, he, man, man. Convincing his family, no doubt, because the Bible says the eight souls were saved. But no doubt hearing that, whoo, yeah, my goodness, bless God. He's talking about it all. Man, they're going over the plans again. They're looking at the dimensions again. He's even showing them where some gopher wood is and where the pitch is. They can do all this, but they never put nothing together. Now you tell me when the rains come and the deep gave up itself and all this started flooding the earth, who in the world would be advantaged by a talk without a walk? I've left to many conferences saying, man, I'm going to do better with this and I'm going to do better with that. I've left camp meetings and we told young people, whenever you go home and you get back on Sunday morning, you lick the paint off the ceiling, bless God. You do what you're doing right then. And you say, bless God, when you get there on Sunday morning, surprise your pastor and do that. And I've seen young people come back to churches and they were silent as a mouse on Sunday morning. The reason why, because it's real easy to talk, but it's a whole lot harder to walk. It's real easy to talk about it. It's real easy to say, I'll escort him back. But it's a whole nother thing to get your family together and get over to where the king is and say, welcome home, king. Return unto us, king.
Israel may have legitimately been more in number. But Judah is closer in relation. If you'll stand with me here this evening. The reality of this whole situation is this. At this time, Israel is really not, they're not a divided kingdom. It's not ten tribes, two tribes. They are all, they are all the nation of Israel. But he's just referring to Judah because of this scenario of they had not said anything. So they're not a divided kingdom. So here is something very, I think, important to take home from this. Is that if the ten tribes of Israel have this controversy and everything about Judah inviting the king back to Jerusalem. Boys, what are y'all really qualming about? And that's really what Judah says in a certain way because they say, did, did we eat anything at the charge of the king? You know what they're saying? Saying, we're not getting any perks that you're not getting by having him back in Jerusalem. They're saying, you, you brought him over. Bless God. Yeah, but Judah, when you did that, that didn't just benefit Judah. That benefited the ten tribes of Israel as well. It had been great if you had been there. But whenever the dust settles, you're going to benefit from this just as much as the one that did escort him. There's times we leave this place and somebody has benefited from a Judah that escorted him in. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Sometimes I didn't meet him at the Jordan. I just talked about it. But thank God for the Judas in the house that said we're going to invite him in, welcome him in. And whenever we all went home, Judah or otherwise, we all got the perks of being in the presence of the king. See, the tragedy is the day when there are no more Judas left. Because when there are no Judas left, we don't have an escort. We don't have an escort. Woo! For the king. Because, see, Judah will hang with him seven years until everybody else gets on board. That's right. Judah's not going for the popular vote. Judah says, I'm satisfied if I got to do it by myself. I'll claim him for seven years before Issachar ever does. I'll invite him. I'll put him back in his rightful place. That happens by, that happens by praise. So there is power tonight, not something that we didn't already know, but there is power in praise. Either for the better or for the worse. But if the rightful king 
is to reign in our lives will be because Judah welcomed him. I believe it was Joash or Josiah maybe. Again, there are so many different characters in the Old Testament with similar names. You can almost get them crossed up quite often. But I, I, think, it was, I think it was Josiah. I'm trying to check. No, it was Joash. I was right when I first said it. Joash, who had been tucked away in the house of God for several years as a young boy, kept out of the eyesight of Athaliah, who was promoting herself as queen and, and killing all of the competition of sons that was about her. But unknown to her, Joash was tucked away in the house of God. The Bible says on a particular day when he was of rightful age, they took him out among all the people. No one, only a, a select few was aware of him. The Bible says they made him king. They anointed him. The Bible says when he came, they clapped their hands. And they extolled, they shouted, God save the king. The Bible says the trumpeters trumpeted. And all the people of the land rejoiced. You know what they were doing? They were praising the one that was to reign over them. And when Athaliah, who had thought she had this position, heard the praise of the people. She understood she was in that moment guilty of treason. And it wouldn't be long until her head would row. Because the praise of the people had escorted in a king. Can I tell you tonight that the enemy of our soul many times have tried to usurp the throne of the rightful king. But if the sounds of the people would bring some praise to the rightful king, he's going to understand very quickly my doom is sealed because Judah is escorting in. Judah is escorting in a king. Hallelujah. Can we raise our hands right now over this place? Brother Mason, I'm going to end on a high note here tonight. Hallelujah. I'm going to end on a high note here tonight. Because there is a king among us. And I'm asking the people in this congregation, dig down deep somewhere and find a fresh praise upon your lips and in your heart. I'm not talking about a memory praise. I'm talking about a fresh and a new praise upon your lips. And let it be heard in this place tonight. The praise of the people that's escorting in the rightful king in this house tonight. Hallelujah. Do you remember that it was he that delivered you? It was he that saved you. It was he that put food on your table. It's he that healed your body. It's he that's sustaining you right now that you're crippled. It... Someone say praise the Lord. These altars are open tonight with somebody. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.